Hey, Kelly. Yeah, Sarah. It's Sunday morning. It's snowing outside. (laughs) It's snowing outside. I am so excited for today because we have our first guest on the program and we love her. We do. She's going to be a great guest. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Let's get to it. This is the Unchosen Fork. I am Sarah. And I'm Kelly. And we are here to talk today about spirituality and chronic illness. I just want to say I am so excited to have with us today Megan Sweat. She is a student of divinity and she's getting her master's and is on the track for ordination of the priesthood. And she is an amazing person and who I go to with all of my bigger world questions. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. I am so excited to have you. I mean, Kelly, do you want to add anything to that? Well, I think kind of like we talked about smushed peas in the last episode, how we've known each other for so long. We've had that joy with Megan as well, with raising our children together. And I'm just excited that we're able to share and support each other along this journey. So Megan, we invited you on today. You are in general an awesome person, but also that you have had a really amazing path in terms of getting to this place of spirituality, as well as having your own unchosen fork for yourself. Megan, what is your unchosen fork? Hmm. Well, so I too live with chronic illness. I live with the autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis. I am also in treatment for a very rare cancer that is somewhat of a chronic condition. To give you kind of the history of my story, my MS diagnosis was over 10 years ago. It was shocking and it was traumatic. You know, I was young and perfectly healthy and I was just about to turn 30. I was consumed with health and fitness and I suddenly lost the vision in my right eye one morning, and that spurred me into this diagnosis process that was lengthy and invasive and had difficult treatments to try and help regain my sight, which I did, but it was a completely destabilizing experience, right? We were just about Mm -hmm. to start a family. I was in the midst of caring for my mom, who was in the earliest stages of dementia, And there was a lot of indication that this diagnosis was going to make my professional life really unstable. There was no prediction about what course it was going to take and all that kind of stuff. So it was a time that I needed to be steady and stable in my life, and that was not happening. So I was trying to figure out how to live with this completely destabilizing diagnosis. I had a long period of adjustment, kind of wondering like what the next thing to come was going to be. Was I going to have another flare? Was... I going to be walking down the street one day and my leg was not going to work. You know, what what was I going to do about that? Being that it's 10 years ago now, I'm I'm far enough out from that diagnosis that, you know, I have kind of that history under my belt of what the course is, has looked like to date and it thankfully has been very mild. There is still always that unpredictability, but I kind of have the track record now, right? And then 3 years ago, I became kind of staggeringly ill very suddenly and spent some time in the ICU where I was diagnosed with a tumor in my intestinal tract. It's a really rare form of cancer. And the good news about that was that I was, I had surgery that removed it and that was kind of the treatment for it. But now I'm, I'm in this period of monitoring and medication and preventative measures to try and make sure that it doesn't come back. And that was 
also an extraordinarily destabilizing event in my mm-hmm. life that now I'm living, you know, I used to get all worked up about those annual MRIs for MS. And now I'm in the six month cycle of CT scans and blood work and all those things that, you know, just kind of are the routine of chronic illness. Um, Surveillance care, you love it or hate it, right? (laughs) Exactly. Hate it. (laughs) I, you know, it's interesting because we talk about how there's a universality of chronic illness that when you're talking about your unchosen fork, it's so specific to you. And yet, like, I hear you in the fact of like, oh, that recurrence of I'm going in for this test. I need to get this result. I have this coming up. I have anxiety around it. The anxiety is released or it's increased or whatever it is. It's just common across all of our collective illnesses, whatever it is, you know, whether it be cancer or encephalitis or MS, you know, there's just a universality to it, which is really appropriate for today because we're really talking about big things. Some of the biggest things, which is really your spirituality and how you handle it when you have a chronic illness, you have really dove headfirst into this conversation. I will say this. <laughs> when I called you up, I said, we're not going to talk about faith healing. We're not going to talk about people who go in and expect their faith to heal them. We're really talking about when you believe in a higher power, whether that comes in an organized fashion, you know, the formal setting or not. We're really going to talk about spirituality today in the sense of like believing in a higher power or a higher energy that that exists around you. We're not going to talk about, you know, John of God or anything like that. Just kind of want to put that out there. Like that's what you came here for. Sorry to disappoint you. In terms of the spirituality and illness, I mean, where do you want to start from that conversation? When you're diagnosed, it is so destabilizing. And some people have already developed that faith bond and other people haven't. When you start with spirituality and chronic illness, I mean, kind of where do you start? Well, you know, I I love what you said about, you know, how we're not going to be talking about how faith heals, right? But I think in a lot of ways, starting with a reorientation to the idea of what healing is, is major for engaging with chronic illness and faith. We're not talking about curing right? We're not talking about erasing what has happened or going back to the way things were beforehand. We're talking about engagement with practices and your faith tradition that helps you understand what healing looks like for you, what wholeness looks like in maybe a body that is in pain or a body that doesn't work like it did before or those sorts of things, right? How do you find wholeness in your own being and your relationship with the universal that sustains you and helps give you a path forward? I think that's that's what faith can do and and spirituality can do when it comes to chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Megan, did you find that it gave you maybe more hope and a more positive outlook as far as making it to the 10-year mark of your MS diagnosis and getting out of the hospital after your cancer diagnosis, a little bit about what those emotions and those feelings that you had. You know, it's interesting. My spiritual path personally has involved a good bit of study and practice of Eastern philosophies as well as Christianity. During the time of my MS diagnosis, I was pretty heavily engaged in meditation practices and the study of Buddhism. And I think that for me, 
practices to help engage with the realities of what was going on were incredibly grounding um, and helped build resilience in relating to my diagnosis. But as I've kind of evolved in my faith and kind of been drawn back again and again to Christianity, and now I'm pursuing this path of ministry in the church and evolved in my Christian faith, the hope of engaging with the love that surrounds us and the sustenance that I get from my relationship with God absolutely has helped in coming to terms with and and finding a path forward. What's really interesting about what you said, Megan, is that I did a lot of research. Kelly and I probably both lean in terms of the, what can I prove? And (laughs) oddly, faith is not about what you can necessarily prove, right? (laughs) So as I was looking at articles about like faith and illness, I mean, a lot of it struck me is the fact that when these research projects go on, it's really about the people that have a faith or have what I love you said, like engagements and traditions, they seem to have an easier time on the journey, on their unchosen path, if you will, on their journey than others that do not have those engagements and traditions and do not have that core of spirituality. And it was really interesting because it was study after study. There weren't very many on non-Christian faiths. I couldn't even find Jewish studies. I can only find a Christian. What you're saying is exactly true is that it seems to be more about the resilience to the experience of your journey than actually, oh, I'm going to feel better because I'm on this from what I've read, a lot of people point back to it's that unconditional love and that sense of belonging and community and hope, whether it's God or Buddha or what it might be for you. It is that community and that sense of just overwhelming feeling of unconditional love and support to be able to get through the illness that you're dealing with. And there's lots of studies on people who do not have as much feeling as of helplessness actually do better with illness, see more success with their illness. And so that lends as well in the same direction. I think that's exactly right, Kelly. I was going to say those exact words, belonging and community. It's being connected and knowing that you belong to something and you are connected to it that helps you face the fact that you're in a situation that is incredibly unpredictable, but you are held in a way that that sustains you. I think that having that undergirding makes treatment and dealing with chronic illness able. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about this experience and the resilience, I mean, how do you build that? Let's say if you only had a passing faith or maybe you didn't have any faith, how do you build that in face of a difficult diagnosis with, you know, how do you get out of the why me or the, I don't have that underlying community yet. Right. In a lot of ways, it starts with community with yourself, right? Spirituality is a lot of relationship with yourself and then yourself in relation to others. And so I look at practices of meditation and practices of contemplation. And those are two slightly different kinds of practices. Meditation, I I see more as kind of working to know your own mind, to to develop self-knowledge and to be with yourself. And contemplation is more, at least in the Christian tradition, is being in the presence of God. So sitting 
and being with God and relating with God in a way. So it's not necessarily prayer, but just being in the presence. I think we live in a culture that will do pretty much anything to avoid spending time with ourselves. And God <laughs> Whatever do you mean, Megan? <laughs> you mean that we are constantly distracted by the bells and whistles and lights that are in our pocket? What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. God forbid there be silence around us as well, right? So and that cultural propensity and for that avoidance can be compounded for people with chronic illness. You're living with discomfort and you're living potentially mm-hmm. with pain and all that uncertainty. And so wanting to escape the realities of that limitation or discomfort is perfectly natural. But spiritual traditions give us practices like meditation and contemplation for being able to kind of center down in ourselves and enter into the reality of suffering. The thing I love about spiritual traditions is that they don't shy away from the fact that we suffer. First noble truth of Buddhism is life is suffering. And the story of Christ is the story of God entering into the human experience, knowing that suffering and death are part of the human experience. And so when we're able to kind of enter into those realities and not glorify them in any way, right? Like suffering should never be glorified, but to accept that there are realities, give us tools and frameworks for relating to suffering in ourselves. And then that helps us in relating to the suffering of others as well, right? Like that, that's where kind of the building of connection and and community can come. Having been in and around the medical establishment quite a bit over my lifetime, I see clearly, it's really easy to see when you're sick, the injustices of the medical system, seeing how they affect and impact not only yourself, but other people who may or may not have the same privileges or access that you do. So that's where you start to get those connections and building of community that can come after you've had the kind of crisis moment of (laughs) trying to come to terms with a chronic illness. That is not an immediate thing. Mm -hmm. So the source that I'm going to share with you for the bite size, I was actually rereading this morning before we all met. It talks a lot about daily practice and how daily practice really helps to center you and build your spirituality. That really resonated with me. I am a Christian. It's something I've grown up in, but I also recognize that not everyone does. And people choose what path that they want to they want to take and what they believe in and my daily practice is every night when i lay my head down on my pillow i say my prayers that is just something that ends my day and hopefully helps me to start my morning just in a very centered and good place so daily practice whether it's meditation which is something that i've been working on or whatever it may be daily practice really seems to help kind of hone your faithfulness or your spirituality. You know, for me, Kelly, it's interesting you talk about daily practice because meditation is part of my daily practice. You both know that I am like as fallen of a Catholic as I could possibly be, but that is what it is. You know, my daily practice really does have meditation, but I also choose to think that my building of community, however I do that, and I do try to build a lot of community in my daily life is part of that as well. You know, I try and take that as living in a way that is close to faith in general. Okay, what can I do to strengthen the relationships around me with the people that I can and those communities around me? Right? What can I do to support that? 
And that's part of my daily and weekly meditation. Well, and Sarah, you're someone who serves so many people and really look and seek out to serve people. I do to the point where, you know, you and I have talked about, I had to cut that back a little. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Why am I exhausted? Oh, right. I'm dealing with a chronic issue that I'm supposed to be sleeping 14 hours a day. Maybe I can't throw together that shindig of whatever it is. Well, and I think that's, what's so important about the daily practice and the remembering that you have to serve yourself and fill yourself. And to me, that's what spirituality is, is it's not only serving other people, but it's refilling myself and figuring out how to make me in the best place that I can be so that I can be there for other people. Yeah. You know, in terms of building community and practices that you'd love to see people do, what would you say are tangible ways that people could take away from our conversation to say, hey, this is something that you can actually do on a daily basis to build that community within yourself and within the community around you. Community starts with relationship and relationship starts with yourself and then moves out towards others, right? Those practices of meditation, contemplation, prayer, those all help build your relationship with yourself. And then it's not for everybody, but joining a spiritual community, if you're drawn to that, there are so many out there, right? There are so many options that you can find something that fits if you're in a place to be able to do that. I think you can find community building in support groups for individual conditions or or those kinds of things. You know, I mean, as much as the internet can be representative of the evils of all of humanity, it can also be representative of our highest angels and finding community with people in similar condition and suffering from similar things, I think is a really good place to start in building community and seeing that you're not alone. Yeah. Chronic illness can make you feel so isolated and so alone. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that Kelly and I have talked about is trying to use this forum to help people find their people. Mm -hmm. We have a community group out there on Facebook, Our Chosen Fork, you know, and we're really trying to build that so people don't have that sense that they are alone because they're not. They just haven't made that connection yet. They just haven't found their people. When you talk about that, you know, that's one way that you could do it. That's so encouraging to us because that's exactly what our goal is for this conversation is let's reduce the loneliness and the isolation where we can, however we can. Absolutely. And I think finding spaces where, you know, as Kelly mentioned earlier, the belonging, where where there is a sense of belonging can be so edifying and sustaining for people, particularly in a world that does not value vulnerable bodies, we can often feel very excluded from life in general. And so finding those places where you belong as a whole person is really essential. I would also say illness is very anxiety provoking for families, for the person who has the illness. And to me, having this mindfulness and this spirituality and just letting your mind settle a little bit and be really involved in allowing for thinking in a different way and in a different space about a community or about a being or whatever it may be, really, for me, helps to quell some of that anxiety. And maybe it's just in the moment, but maybe it carries over as well. And I think that, to me, is a really big piece of it. 
The last question that I had is, Megan, we've touched on spirituality and different practices and such. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about spirituality and chronic illness that we haven't covered? I think we've covered a lot of it. I think figuring out through your spirituality how to live a whole life by authentically showing up as who you are in this moment now and and having a relationship with that. And maybe it's not the you that you were five minutes ago or five years ago or that kind of thing, but using your faith tradition to really engage authentically in life as it is really helps give a path forward and work through chronic illness. I had a great quote from uh, Kate Bowler. I don't know if y'all have heard of her. She does a lot of writing and work around chronic illness and engagement with really the realities of it and how we can live in community together um, and move through it. She has this quote that says, any persistent suffering requires being afraid, but we hang our fears in the balance of our great loves and act each day as though love will outweigh them all. And I think faith that love is what triumphs through everything is the most sustaining and good news that I've ever heard. And I think that that can really help people with chronic illness. You're going to make me cry because that just like hit me in the core. <laughs> but, uh, going back to that quote, that the persistence of love is what we have. Yeah. Amen. Completely. When you have a chronic illness and you think that maybe your time will be cut short, you realize that all the love that you have is what you're going to leave behind. That's it. Nothing else. Kelly, you want to add anything? Oh, I weep into my mic. I don't know how you add anything to that. Mic drop. <laughs> that is a mic drop, Megan, if there ever was one. Seriously. <laughs> I will say that your family feels the same way. And that's yeah. their biggest fear of being the ones left behind. Yeah. So love, right? But that's why I also have taken on the philosophy of just loving today because nobody has any guarantee. And so you take today and you, you soak it up. Yep. I would completely agree with that. Well, Megan, this has been amazing as always. You are just an incredible light in our world and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you all are doing this podcast. I think it's going to help a lot of people. We hope, we hope that's the hope, right? And hope is all we have at the end of the day. This is the best part of the podcast, in my opinion. We have the bite size. Bite size. So today I'm sharing a book that I've really enjoyed. It's called Radical Remission, Surviving Cancer Against All Odds. And it's written by Kelly A. Turner, who is a PhD. Just to tell you a little bit about her, she went around the world and found many different people who survived cancers that it was not believed that they could survive. And she tried to put together what did all of these people do that were common. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more as the podcast goes on. I reread the part about spiritual connection this morning in preparation. And at the very end of the chapter, she talks about when spiritual energy begins to flow through you, a host of healthy changes occur in your body. And these are physical changes. So there's 
increased hormones that are released, which cause decreased blood pressure, increased oxygenation of the body, improved blood circulation, improved digestion, detoxification, and a stronger immune system. And isn't that what we're all looking for? And we're trying to get from some pill that we're popping or supplement, Mm -hmm. and you can do it through meditation. You can do it through daily prayer, spiritual groups, connecting with people or through your religion. That's awesome, Kelly. I love that. I love that it's been proven that it's around the world because it's not just the Christian faith or the Buddhist faith. It's all around the world to say that maybe finding your community within yourself and around yourself is where it's at. Megan, anything you want to add to our bite size? I'm here for all of that. I would much rather say a prayer and engage in my faith than to pop a pill. Amen Mm -hmm. to that. Megan, thank you again so much for being on today. We really appreciate it. We've learned so much. I feel so, I don't know, enlightened. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Megan. Thank you all. Follow us on the socials. This has been The Unchosen Fork. 